White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. 2-2. Olsen strikes out swinging, and Colome gets the save. The White Sox with a very impressive overall performance, riding the pitching of Lucas Giolito, the power of their sluggers in the middle of the lineup, and Jess, the White Sox take a one-game-to-none lead in this best-of-three. Hello and welcome back to Locked on Sox. And as you just heard, the White Sox take game one by the score of four to one. What a great performance by Lucas Gilito and closed out right there by Alex Column A+. This is Herb Lawrence and with me is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing after this first playoff win in 12 years? Oh my God, first playoff win at 12 years? Has it been that long? Has it been that long since John Danks outdueled Matt Garza? What about Danks? Let me ask how my guy Bill Walton's doing. The White Sox win. Print the banner. Line up the parade. Michigan Avenue on the Studge Turkle Bridge, Division Street. Let's go. In this episode of Locked on White Sox, we're going to talk about the big victory today in Game 1, why Lucas Giolito was so great. Then we'll give you a little pitching matchup. A Game 2 preview. Keuchel versus Bassett. But this postseason edition of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by rockauto.com. You know, with so many different makes and models of automobiles these days, it's basically impossible to stock all the parts that your car is ever going to need in a traditional chain storefront. So why endure the often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your car an LX or an EX? And you wait for the person at the counter to order the parts on their computer, choosing only the brands that their warehouse happens to carry. Well, guess what? You got a computer. You got one right on your phone, silly. It's rockauto.com. You know, one reason to maintain your car is to save money so that you can use that money on important things like mortgage or food or with the holidays coming up, you always could use a little extra cash so why would you spend 30 50 or even 100 percent more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership when you can go to rockauto.com you see those chain stores they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and it's always they are reliably low rockauto.com offers the lowest prices possible rather than charging prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login you just go in there search for the parts add them to your cart buy them and wait for them to show up at your doorstep could not be easier rockauto.com's got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps motor oil and even brand new carpet Because their catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate, you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand specifications and prices that you prefer. And best of all, like I said, rockauto.com's prices reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So don't spend up to twice as much for the same parts at a big box store. Why would you do that when you got rockauto.com right in your pocket? And do us this favor, would you? When you go to rockauto.com, write locked on in their how'd you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliable low prices and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com all right herbie feels good 
Socks up 1-0 in the House of Horrors, Oakland, where they notoriously have not played well. Uh, I had uh, my reservations going into this game. I, I, I thought Giolito would struggle a little bit. I thought he'd be too amped up. We talked about all this stuff already. I had the White Sox losing in three. This definitely changes my outlook on the rest of the series, although tomorrow's matchup is going to be no pushover for the Sox. But Lucas Giolito today did the damn thing. He showed up. He showed out, and he proved why he's the ace of this ball club. Giolito goes out there today, nearly goes all perfecto on that ass in a playoff game. Seven innings pitched, two hits, one run. It was earned, just one walk, eight strikeouts. Herb, what do you make of Lucas Giolito's great outing today? What would you like about it besides literally everything? (laughs) Just like he – you could tell at the beginning of the game he was nervous. He wasn't the pitcher he was – at the end of the game, he was giving up rocket hits, uh, rocket shots, not hits at all. Um, start the game, Tom Listella, I thought that was going to be a hit. A couple other ones um, almost dropped in. And he wasn't getting the strikeouts at the beginning of the game. So he was just pitching to contact, wasn't um, really executing the pitches as he wanted to like he did later in the game. Then you saw a couple of the shots after four innings and – the bearing down, the the intense focus, the almost Undertaker-like stare into the catcher's mitt, into James McCann, and just like, I'm here. And he felt like he was going to throw this perfecto or no-hitter, uh, Tom Lestella breaking that up in the seventh or eighth, seventh inning. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a dominant performance. And, yeah, that Oakland lineup without uh, Chapman is a little lackluster, but still, those are Major League Baseball players. That's a number one team in the AL West. Got a lot of wins, like 35-plus wins this year. Um, I got to tip my cap. First playoff appearance, just like you. I thought he would at least give up three to four runs, and it will be maybe an early exit, and the Sox would just batter Lozardo so much that they would be fine and he would get the win. But I was not expecting. If anybody tells you they're expecting Lucas Giolito in his first start to pitch like he did today, I think they're lying to you. Yeah, back to that first inning a little bit. He ends up going one, two, three. But I remember as I was watching it, I said, you know what? He is a little amped up. He's he's missing his spots. He's throwing a little bit too hard. And he was getting hard contact because of that. But what I thought was, okay, this is good because at least he's working fast and it's going to help him settle into the game. And, you know, once he gets a chance to sit down, you know, after the Sox hit again in the second, then he has a chance to, you know, sort of collect himself a little bit. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Matt Olson, uh, the other Matt that you have to worry about still in that Oakland lineup is as good as they come at first base. You know, he, after a really lengthy at bat, Giolito struck him out on that filthy changeup. And, and you saw mm-hmm. uh, Pitching Ninja tweeted that video out uh, early on in the ball game today. And it's always good to see. Um, but I, I thought the A's were trying to be aggressive early in the count. They didn't want to be suscept to what was going to be waiting for them like a deep in accounts they don't want to you know be be subject to that high fastball or typically what you would see Giolito is that change up with what he got Matt Olson on but I, I saw Giolito as a guy today who was who's pitching he was poised and and he was controlled but it, he was pitching angry out there you mentioned that stare and you saw a lot of people have the split screen with Giolito and LeBron James with like the psycho maniacal competitive stare there was mm-hmm. there was moments out there today where he looked like he was pitching out of body 
Like he was a lot more just animated on the mound uh, before pitches, you rocking back and forth and, mm-hmm. and give, giving that death stare in there. He looked like he was possessed out there. It, like this is a guy who we've seen pitch in big games with with mixing mixed results, and we've seen him throw that no hitter. But even this game compared to that no hitter. Like he was not that animated against that, uh, the Pirates in that no hitter earlier this season. He seemed to be a different guy once he got going and once his offense gave him a little run support. Yeah, and you, the, you bring up the rocking. Yeah, I noticed that and I didn't bring it up. It was it was weird, but he was like, "Let's go, come on, I'm yep. antsy. I'm, I know you guys can't hit me today. It's not it's not happening. You guys hit me because I make a mistake, not because you're good." Type of thing, and uh, yeah, that that single up the middle by Tom Lestell. You know, Tom Lestell, professional hitter. He'll take his ball and go home once in a while, but when he does <laughs> bat, he'll uh, do the job. So I wasn't surprised to see that he broke him up. It's third time through the lineup, you're you're bound to do it. And the first time he came up to the bat, he got some solid contact contact off of Lucas Giolito. So yeah, um, it's good to see. Like he channeled something something got in him he's like okay you're a good hit you're a good pitcher these guys can't touch you they've given you your best shot and we're good to go these guys are gonna throw a left-hander in our face like we're not dominating left-handers this year disrespecting my teammates like that and they're taking advantage of that and so these guys are are thinking we're pushovers and think i ain't one of the best pitchers in the league, so I'm gonna show him what's going down. So yeah, he had a, he was possessed, and that's a good start. I need him to be possessed the rest of his starts in the postseason because this is the way you need to channel your emotions. I know everybody was probably nervous. You were nervous for the game. I oh was my god, yeah, I was. Yeah, I was on edge all day today. Yeah, I did. Uh, I should note here before we get into more on Chialito, You know, our guy Johnny Kess tweeted that he did get that baconator today, so he's going to have mm. to run it back tomorrow, and hopefully for his heart's sake, he, there's no game three in the series. But so I, I tweeted out in reply to Johnny Kess today. I was like, you know, uh, I made Mickey Mouse waffles for my daughter today, and. Uh, uh, inadvertently, my wife, you know, you know, I turned my head a second, then she went ahead and made waffles, Mickey waffles for our daughter, not knowing that I had made some. So we had an extra uh, set of Mickey waffles to, to consume today. And my daughter wasn't going to eat that. She had already started school uh, doing the online learning thing. So there it was like, I was like, I guess someone's going to have to eat these Mickey waffles. So that's not something I typically eat, but I ate them today. So I'm going to have to run it back tomorrow and have some Mickey waffles, folks. So we do what we have to do. It worked today. Uh, and Giolito, you know, you talked about these guys being ready to play and being locked in. All the worries we had about this team you sort of limping into the playoffs and backing in and playing uninspired baseball. You know, we'll talk about T.A. in a second, but he came out ready to go. You know, the things we mm-hmm. mentioned about Jose Abreu being ready to go, his first time on a national stage in the playoffs, and he came out like gangbusters with that big home run. But Gilito commented on just the team in general being ready to go. I think it's just uh, kind of a testament to, you know, our goals that we set at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, we were sure we were going to make the playoffs. We knew that we had the talent to do it. And then when it comes time to actually play in the playoffs, it's the same game. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little bit nervous last night. Uh, but waking up this morning, I felt I felt confident. And then, uh, you know, once I step between the lines, it was just like any other start. Um, you know, just go out there and 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 do your best uh, executing pitches. Um, Angie had a hell of a game. Obviously, Pito uh, doing what he does. Uh, I think that 
we we came ready to play um you know put what was going on at the end of the season behind us and and kind of just get ready to go so important that they were able to turn that page and and that was the one thing that we talked about like okay I, you hope if your team's not playing well going to the postseason, you hope that that day off of rest, they can clear their mind, clear their head and and wipe the slate clean. And they did that today. But you're probably wondering, OK, so what was the difference today with Giolito? Why was he so good? He looked so different out there. Well, I could tell you, typically, as you know, watching Giolito, your Sox fan, you watch him all the time. You know that he typically relies on on a mix of fastball change up and he'll occasionally mix in that slider in there uh to, to, yeah to keep people off balance but today they sort of had a, a different approach going so typically during a regular season giolito would, would go with the fastball and change up mix to about a 50 35 percent rate with those two pitches but today they decided to mix in the slider in lieu of the changeup, or at least a slider going uh, ahead of the changeup, and it was fastball fifty six percent of the time, slider twenty four percent, changeup twenty percent. Uh, so they 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 interchanged those changes, changeup and slider pitch today. And Gilito talked about that game plan that uh, James McCann had orchestrated and how they were able to get that rhythm going early with that slider. Was to definitely use the slider more today um, against that lineup. We knew that the slider would be effective if it was working. Uh, so McCann made it a point to call it a good amount early, uh, even in counts where in another start, maybe we'd throw changeups in those situations, he would call the slider. And that just kind of got the feel for it going early. And then as the game went on, kind of like with all my other pitches, uh, we, we got in sync and I was able to land that slider consistently to the outside part of the plate. So, uh, it was a little bit part of the game plan and then also based on feel too. It was a pitch that we could go to and we were uh, confident uh, we'd throw it for a strike. There it is. McCann and Giolito working lockstep once again. We we were, were talking about how in a playoff situation, well, Giolito's going to have to learn to throw to Yasmani Grandal, but it didn't have to today. And then you get the best of both worlds. You get the home run later in the game from Grandal, but... You tip of the cap to the game plan today because the A's just looked off balance and they they really looked like they were not prepared for the, that sequencing of pitches. And kudos to McCann for calling those pitches early to get his young pitcher in a rhythm out there. Yeah, and they probably looked at film and said, okay, he throws fastball, change up most of the time. And probably were sitting on change up in those counts where Absolutely. he typically does. And you, he just said it. And so it's smart to throw him off a little bit and say, hey, we're going to introduce this slider and you're going to be having to put that into your into your pot and know that that is a little bit faster than the change up and it's breaking away from you if you're a right-hander and breaking into your bat if you're a left-hander and so yeah brilliant by James McCann good game plan with the good scouting especially a team you haven't seen this year it's a a nice game of cat and mouse and getting it prepared for um a team that you haven't seen and a team that probably has the scout on tape but not necessarily seeing it in person since last year on the field. So, yeah, it's a excellently executed game plan, and I very much appreciate James McCann coming up with that and Lucas executing the pitches to get the job done. Absolutely, and, you know, you, another thing we, we, we talk about frequently here, we'll get to the offense in a second, but it was also – it's a first for a lot of guys out there today. It was also a first game managing the postseason for Rick Renteria. What did you make of that decision to to lift Giolito uh, in the eighth inning when he did? 
Well, I was fine with uh, Lucas Giolito going back out for the eighth inning. He had given up the hit in the inning before to start the inning off and then came out strong and I think struck out two of the last three guys he faced. So I was like, all right, he's still got power. I think he ended the seventh inning with 94 pitches. So I was like, yeah, he's got a couple more left in him. You know, he pitched a 120, 119 last start. So I was like, yeah, if he runs into trouble, walks a guy, gives up a base hit, you go and get him. You have Bummer and Marshall already throwing in the seventh, so they should be loose and ready to go for the eighth. And when he walked, uh, I think it was Canna on four straight pitches, I was like, all right, cool. It was good effort, good job by Lucas, giving up that one walk. You know, you gave him a chance to to go out for the eighth and see what he can do. He didn't do well. Let's uh, let's sit him on the bench and see what Aaron Bummer or Evan Marsh can do with these guys. And then – Ricky goes out there and just talks to him, you know, licks him in the eye. And I like that kind of uh, having faith in your guy and your guy allowing to talk his way into pitching another batter versus another batter. If a manager allows you to do that and gives you that leeway, I kind of like that. So I don't come hard on Ricky on that in that regard, but also it's his job as the manager to understand that Okay, he, none of those pitches were close to Cannon. They were all off. He was missing his spots totally. And there's no reason to pitch around Mark Canna. None at all. He's not the power hitter uh, that you got to pitch around and make sure that you don't get burned by Mark Canna. So I would have taken him down there if I was Ricky. And he allowed him to stick in, in there and get a rocket shot by Lamb, make it first and third. Then he took him out. So... Yeah, I got a little problem right there with Ricky not taking him out, being a manager instead of a friend and a guy like that. I, Like I said, I don't have a huge problem with it, but also you need to have the foresight and the balls as a manager to say, okay, man, I got, I see something and I saw something that wasn't right. I'm sorry. You've pitched a great game, man. Seven innings plus one hit. You should be proud of yourself. Go ahead and sit down. Have a rest. That type of stuff. So we're all about process, not the results, guys. Once you see things wrong, you got to go and yank them. And that was Ricky's job. Great job by Evan Marshall to come in and induce the ground ball and get the lead runner out and to get out of that inning uh, unscathed for the most part, just giving up that uh, run that Canna scored. So, yeah, I had a little bit of problem with it, but it's not an egregious mistake that did anything to cost the team any uh, uh, runs or cost the team any uh, wins or anything like that. Yeah, and again, I don't have a problem with it either. I thought Ricky handled it perfectly, even going out there and, and getting that that look in the eye from a starting pitcher, like, what do you want to do here? Can you get me one more? And Giolito said in the post game, you know, this thing kind of unraveled quickly for him, and Giolito said in the, in the post that it was more of a, a lack of focus. It wasn't fatigue or anything like that. He just kind of lost focus there, and that's why he, he walks the leadoff guy. So it wasn't a thing where I, where I think anyone anticipated, like, okay, we're going to try to, you know, maybe squeeze one more batter out of this, and all of a sudden you're one batter too late. But it just it was a mental issue, according to Giolito anyway. So I think – Maybe McCann would have gave him a look. You look into the dugout, like, "Hey, it's about that time." But you know, that wasn't. It was kind of a different situation today. So, a learning experience, no doubt, for Giolito going forward. Uh, to just you know, honing in and maintaining that focus uh, as deep in the ball game as you could possibly go. Uh, yeah, but credit to Evan Marshall who did get that ground ball. That he did exactly what you needed him to do there. Uh, couldn't get the double play, but uh, w- but what can he do? They got out of the inning, and of, of course, Bummer uh, comes in uh, with the one third of an inning. 
um, get, you know, retires this, uh, his hitter and Colome. Uh, a very mm. very clean ninth inning, and I, I mm. think a, a lot of us were saying, "Oh no, here we go!" Like we haven't had to experience the the, the column A scaries in a long time, but but he did his job too, and he and he made it look easy. Just uh, just a job well done by the pitching staff today, uh, all across the board. And uh, you know, you didn't have to to use your secret weapon, Garrett Crochet, out there, and you didn't have to use uh, Foster or Hoyer. So you got with those options available to you. Uh, hopefully not in game three. Hopefully they close this thing out tomorrow. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll see how, how that plays out. So let's get to the offense today. Um, I, I I was very concerned yesterday when Tim Anderson in his Zoom call b- before game one said this. It don't matter. Um, you know, he still got to come to us. Um, you know, but I mean, it's a lefty, so we'll, we'll take it. You know, nothing nothing against it. But, uh, you know, we have been doing good against lefties. And, uh so, I mean, I guess they haven't did their homework. Yeah. So <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, I was shitting bricks. I was like, oh, no, here we go. It's like not because it's T.A., uh, not because I, I, you know, I don't like confidence in your in your ball club, but just the way that they were playing going into this this series. I was like, oh, God, don't give any bulletin board material. And you hadn't seen any signs from T.A., that he was going to back this up with his bat. Like he had been scuffling big time. Not even like Luis Robert was showing signs of, of getting back to form. And Luis Robert had a hit today also. But T.A. just he looked he looked lost in that Cubs series. And then, of course, of course he comes out and backs it up, Herbie. T.A. goes three for four with a run scored and a double. And it set the tone. Like even though they didn't convert in that first inning, they didn't push any runs across, you felt good about – the offense today and I think that had to have helped the pitching staff that had to help Lucas and that had to help the lineup just to see okay you know we'll, we'll eventually get to them you know so there, there was no woes me here we go again with this offense because TA at the top making it happen early yeah I think that Bob Melvin I don't know what went into deciding that a young player like Jose, uh, Jesus Lezardo would be starting he pitches from the left side you have to take that into account for the team that went undefeated, the only team in Major League history, short sample size, be damned, to win every single game versus one side of the the rubber. And they won 14 in a row versus left-handers who started. You have to say, okay, cool. Chris Bassett, man, you got to start game one. And we got to start some other right-hander. These guys murder, especially Tim Anderson, especially him. He's got a sluggy percentage versus left banners. That's 1.00. It's it's ridiculous. And on the road, it's like 1.135. You can't. You cannot start a left-hander versus the White Sox. I don't care if it's Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> I don't care if it's your best pitcher. To start the, the tone in a best-of-three series, you start a left-hander that's not even strong in the first place. If you Like, Sean Manai is left-handed, too. Either way, they would have been wrong in that regard. Um it was a bad decision. And, yeah, Timmy starting off with a blue single to right, then going to third on the great hit, excellent hit by Jose Abreu, just second baseman usually is, and took the ball where it was pitched. And I felt good. I was like, oh, yeah, sad that James can't struck out right there, but it's letting Oakland know that we're here to hit. We're here to batter. And they saw the next inning where one of our worst hitters, and I put those in quotes, rocketed that home run and after the game he said i didn't even barrel that shit up i (laughs) hit it hard but it wasn't like a barrel and i crushed that ball and so that had to send shivers down the spines of jesus lazardo 
Bob Melvin and the rest of the A squad. They said the bottom of the order, a guy who is a substitute is hitting rocket home runs off of us. What is the rest guys going to do? And you saw it. Jose Abreu comes up. 2-0 fastball. Like, is there a scouting report? Have they got the White Sox scouting report on Jason Kubel? There's, like, no nothing on there. 2-0 fastball down the middle. Yeah. You can throw as hard as you want, Jesus Lazardo. They pointed out time and time again. They hit lefties hard, and they hit pitches over 95 miles per hour really hard. The best in the major leagues. So it doesn't matter how fast you throw. It matters where you place the ball, and if you're right-handed. Oh, it was your left hand is going to get rocked. Because you saw when J.B. Wendelkin got in the game, oh, yeah. White Sox couldn't see him at all. He was filthy, yeah. former White Sox farmhand. Yeah. But, yeah, that lefty, no, we'll eat. We'll, mm, it was so delicious. <laughs> and I think a lot of us thought that this was going to be uh, this was going to be a false flag uh, for the Oakland A's today, and they were going to maybe have just Lazardo come in and face the, the lineup one time through. Because he does have good stuff. But they left mm-hmm. him in there to face the, the lineup for a, a few turns there, and he got into the fourth inning. I think that, that was surprising. But as you mentioned, Wendell Kidd did shut them down, uh, and I, I worry uh, about we're seeing some trends for tomorrow, but we'll get to that in a second. But just other things about this game. Um, Rick Renteria, you, know, you, you mentioned Adam Engel, who if you would have said one year ago, Adam Engel with a postseason home run uh, for the White Sox uh, that, that that makes a difference in a ball game. I don't think any of us would have believed that. But credit to him and making the changes with his swing. And credit to Rick Renneria for, for going with the right people, the right personnel out there today. You know, Leary mm-hmm. Garcia came off the IL today, and he was out there in left field, Adam Engel in right. And Rick Renteria said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to have – Encarnacion out here. I'm not going to have Mazzara out here, and it was there. I, I think it helped them defensively because you saw a lot of uh, of shots out there in the outfield towards the corners. So I don't know if Eloy gets to that ball if he's out there, nope. and Mazzara. I don't think he gets to those balls if he's out there. So they had their their best combination of offense and defense there even with no Eloy in the lineup today and they were still able to get production out of Adam Angle is pretty pretty incredible and just I uh, have to applaud Rick Renteria for doing the, the right thing at least we know that he's seeing and he saw what we saw all season long and we were worried that he's going to be a back of the baseball card guy and I, I wouldn't have blamed him for that you know because that's that's why those guys are here but he, you know what it's it's setting a precedent here that he's going to go with his best guys to give him a chance to win and and guys that play defense, uh, guys like Adam Engel who are, are, are short to the ball and making hard contact, and he's going to go with his best guys out there. And that's definitely an encouraging thing going forward the rest of the way here. Yeah, I hope to see Adam Engel. He earned himself another start, even though Chris Bassett is a right-hander. He should be playing tomorrow either in right or left. It depends on where Eloy is back in the lineup healthy or DHing. I think we're going to see – uh, Grandal behind the plate, so the DH spot will be open again. And since it's a versus right-hander, you might have a guy like uh, Encarnacion sit on the bench again. And I have to have England lineup now. Lurie Garcia can go and sit on the pine all he wants to. He's fine. He's a nice replacement, but nothing uh, great. No great shakes there. But Engel has proven himself to be a valuable outfielder and. He used to be a guy where you're like, man, this bat is just not playing. And now I want his bat in the lineup 100%. Um, maybe not if we in the offseason where you have an opportunity to get a right fielder. I'm still looking for another guy. Yep. But if we strike out and we have to settle for Adam Engel, I'm like, you know what? 
the rest of the line is strong enough. We can maybe carry this. And Adam Ingle will give us a quality at bat. Maybe you only hit 250, but that strong defense will carry the day. That type of thing where I'm like, all right, his bat plays in the major leagues. He can play a buck 50, a buck 30 maybe in right field and re-substitute uh, sometimes for other guys. So, yeah, I'm very impressed by the improvements that he did with Frank Minichino when he got sent down last May. And he's come back and became a good major league baseball player. And I'm congratulating him. I used to shit on him on a daily basis. And yeah, he was I'm like everything. He was like the good. he was the personification of everything that we thought was was wrong about the 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 state of the White Sox. Like here's a guy who plays every day, and yeah, he's a really good defender. But ultimately, like where are the bats? Like where where is the improvement with the bats? And he was the guy, like the face of of mediocrity that they talked about, you know. But he's made himself better, and now he's a guy who you want out there in a playoff game, which is it's amazing. And and I, I hope they I hope he's not the guy in right field next year. But I think he's certainly earn himself a spot at least in the conversation you know if he continues to play like this and again the, the defense is still such a huge part of this you know that we don't have to deal with guys you know with chasing balls around in right field and dinging all over the place and in that odd outfield and that very spacious outfield Lou Bob played a great center field today made a couple of nice plays it was not a, a worry today for Lucas Giolito or us frankly uh, to, to see a ball hit in the outfield and wondering what kind of adventure was going to happen because that could have been a disaster a couple times today so a uh, job well done by Rick Renteria putting his best guys out there, and of course by Adam Engel for for just persevering and uh, and 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 dealing with all the mental failures of this game and coming back and, and hitting a, a huge huge home run today for the White Sox. Um, other things of note today uh, in the lineup wise, Jose Abreu um, again. Mm. Uh, we I, I feel like he solidified his MVP candidacy uh, over the weekend against the Cubs with that big hit on Saturday in a big spot. But people forget about that. But what people don't forget about when they're making these votes, is, and that's not supposed to matter, but postseason performance. And all of a sudden you have Jose Abreu coming up there with his huge two-run shot today, uh, giving Lucas Giolito that big 3 nothing lead. We talked about Jose Abreu and sort of just this idea of him finally getting a chance to do his thing in the postseason. And we talked about all the things that he had to endure just to get to this country and, and paying smugglers and, you know, eating that, that passport on a flight uh, to the United States and just, just destroying the passport evidence, the fake passport. And all of a sudden here he is. And it took him years to get to this point, but he's here now in the postseason, and he can really, really hammer home that MVP award if he wants to here. And he's certainly off to a good start, but it was just awesome to see him pick it up after that off day and look refreshed and look like same old Jose Abreu. And that was a huge home run he had today too. Yeah. Then like I talked about earlier, the, the single to right was great, but like, him hitting that home run, I wasn't even looking really at that time. I was, I was casually, you know, doing my job, and then you know, I was like, okay, two uh, zero, you know, maybe he's going to pitch around him. That's be the smart move because McCann's really lost to the plate. That's what I would do if I was a if I was a major league manager. The I think second first base was open, and if it, even if it wasn't, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not letting Jose Abreu beat me. Two zero fastball, it just. Young pitcher, I think second-year pitcher in Jesus Lizardo, rookie catcher in Murphy. Got to know, have to know who the hell Jose Abreu is <laughs> and what the guy behind him is doing and what the guy behind him is doing. So it was McCann and then Robert. It's not like it's Aloy Jimenez who's had a great year. 
you have to understand the situation and say, this guy will not beat us today. Will not at 100%. you got to pick one guy and say, he'll have four at-bats, and most of them be walks or they'll be ground outs. I, what what we won't do is get them in hitters counts and then give up a hitters pitch right down pipe. It's just dumb. And Jose Abreu is punishing people this year, punishing them for their dumb mistakes. And he murdered that ball 104 miles per hour off the bat. And we saw that uh, Jessica Mendoza said that Tim Anderson's double later off of, uh, I think it was uh, Petite was about 106 miles per hour. So, they were rocketing in balls. Oh, yeah. I, I, looked, balls. I looked it up. Nine out of the ten hardest hit balls today were by White Sox hitters. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and you talk about a slump that they may have been in. They, they hit the ball harder than anyone more frequently uh, than the A's did today, and that, that was so huge. All right, so Sox 4-1 to winners today over the A's. They take a one nothing lead in this best-of-three series in Oakland. I'll be having Mickey Waffles in the morning to keep this thing going. Uh, but we have an interesting pitching matchup in Game 2. We've got Dallas Keuchel going for the Sox, and uh, so far in 2020, 6-2 with a sub-2 ERA, uh, two-war pitcher for the White Sox this year. The A's, actually, not bad against lefties themselves. They were 11-3 this season against lefties, and um, I, I don't... This is I'm pretty confident in Lucas Giolito, even though the numbers may say maybe not so much. You got a contact pitcher against a lineup like this, good against lefties. But he's been real good all season long for the White Sox, and he's healthy, and there's no more back issues with him. And, you know, Keiko spoke about sort of his resurgence this year in a White Sox uniform. I'm finally back to, to who I want to be for in the last couple of years I've dealt with you know, numerous nagging injuries and just haven't really found my rhythm. I've been fortunate to to make pitches when I need to, and and at the end of the season have have you know good amount of stats and and good peripherals. But um, this year was I felt like I had had turned the corner back to where I wanted to be, and for for me to feel that way it gives me just a little bit extra confidence to help this group um, go where they want to go, and including myself because once you get a taste of the postseason. You never want to miss it again. So when, when I told Rick that, I meant it, and I meant, you know, what I said to him as well afterwards is that I believe in this group and that it's it, ha- it hadn't won one yet, but it was winning. It was winning, and I saw that last year. And um, I just want to help extra to to do what everybody wants to do, and that's win a championship. And certainly, you know. Keiko and his speech to the team after that lackluster effort in Detroit early this year was sort of that springboard for the White Sox eventually uh, landing in first place in the AL Central for for so much of the season. But uh, what are you looking for out of uh, Keiko? Uh, on uh, what are you looking for out of Keiko in Game Two here? I don't think they'll let him go very deep in this game uh, because of the success that the A's have against lefties. But but what what are you looking to see out of Keiko? And how do you feel about him? going up against this lineup in game two. I'm feeling real strong about Keiko. I understand that the A's do hit lefties pretty tough, but I was watching the post-game show, and this is what I'm going to get on Chris Bassett. Uh, Chuck Garfine brought up a good point. What? A's, <laughs> yeah. Chuck said that the A's play in the AL West, of course, and this year they've only played two teams that ended up with an over 500 record. Of course, that's the best team in the league. L.A. Dodgers, and the San Diego Padres. That's it. That's the only two teams that ended up with a 500 record. And versus those teams, they were 2-4. and four. Huh. And I think the A's are fool's goal. 
And I think you look at the record of Chris Bassett, former White Sox great, and you're like, oh man, five and two with a what in the twos ERA? This man must be the greatest. Two twenty nine ERA, man, he's out there dealing. He faced zero teams that ended up with a five hundred record. He faced the Angels, the Mariners, the Astros, the Angels, the Diamondbacks, the Angels, the Astros, the Astros, the Rangers, the Giants, and the Mariners. No times versus the Dodgers, no times versus the Padres. So, fool's gold. All fool's gold. I see a beating coming down for Chris Bassett. (laughs) And, of course, I see Dallas Keuchel doing Dallas Keuchel things. He has been solid this whole season. Not one start where you're like, man, Dallas Keuchel's out there getting beat up. Or he's not out there giving him his best effort. He's not out there. Uh, dominate the other team. Every single start this year, you're like, man, Dallas Keuchel, that man is, knows how to pitch. And I think the thing's going to continue tomorrow. And I'm looking for even more runs on the board tomorrow for the White Sox. You should get uh, Grandal and Yohan Mankata hitting from the left side. They're more powerful sides in their career. Those guys should be back to normal. Grandal, man, so sweet today. Home run, no doubters are just so ba- great. The backdrop and Yoan Mancada, ooh, yeah, just so so sweet. And I'm I'm expecting one of those guys to go deep tomorrow. So yeah, I'm not I'm not worried about Chris Bassett. I know you guys are like, man, that that five and two, two twenty nine ERA looks pretty daunting. Nah, he's been bum slaying the whole time, and we know we ain't that damn bums. <laughs> well, uh, there there is a bit of a sample of what Dallas Keuchel has done against uh, some of the guys in the uh, current Oakland lineup. Of course, the uh, the Sox catching a break by not having to face Matt Chapman, who was hitting 364 against Keuchel uh, in in uh, 2018 was the last time you can you have to go back to to find a sample size. But uh, Matt Olson hitting 250, uh, Stephen Piscotty, I think you'll see him in the lineup hitting 444 against uh, Keuchel. Marcus Simeon hitting 300. Um, uh, Mark Hanna, not so good. Uh, Chris Davis, not so good. So these guys have seen him before. Uh, so it should be interesting. And, you know, but, you know, Dallas Keuchel, the reason why he's here is because of the postseason experience. And in 12 starts in the postseason, 12 games, I should say, he's four and two with a three, four, seven earn run average. Of course, uh, all that time, uh, with the Astros and the limited opportunity last year with the Braves. But Dallas Keuchel spoke about this and sort of, you know, this is why he's here and he knows it. A lot of teams can 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 try to rebuild, but if you don't have guys stick that you need to stick, I mean, you're just pushing yourself backwards. And I think for the most part, a lot of the a lot of the guys who have finally had a taste last year and made that made that kind of initial jump have progressed even better. And I mean, for them to do that. 25 years of age, younger, or maybe on the cusp of 25, 26, like, like Giolito is, it's, it's very promising. So this game is hard enough as it is. It's even harder for a young kid with, with minimal experience. But you know, like, like you said, this is what I signed up for. And this is what I envision. Um, so the, the, only, the only way is, is up from here, even, if, even when we're in the playoffs. Dallas Keuchel is here. Wearing a White Sox uniform to win Game Two and set the White Sox in a position where they're 
all of a sudden in the next round of the playoffs. So I have complete faith in Dallas Keuchel tomorrow. Seeing him in that dugout today, uh, sipping whatever he was sipping on with his with his hat tilted down low and, and his uh, aviators, whatever glasses he was wearing today, didn't he did not look like a guy who was uh, going to be searching for confidence come tomorrow. He's he's been there, done that, and you're going to have a lineup out there in the A's who. They, they, their backs are going to be against the wall. They're going to be facing elimination and maybe pressing a little bit, uh, maybe swinging early a lot. And Dallas Keuchel knows that. And they'll have the defense behind them and, and the optimized uh, lineup out there with maybe you'll see Eloy DH in. But, you know, again, I think you should have Leury and Engel out there again because of the, the contact rate with Dallas Keuchel. But I feel real good about this matchup. One thing I'm not so convinced in, and you, you sort of touched on it, is the Chris Bassett thing, the old friend, uh, drafted by the White Sox in the 16th round in 2011. Ultimately, he was part of the Jeff Samarja trade, the Sox sending Josh Fegley, uh, Rangel Ravello, and Marcus Simeon to the A's for Jeff Samarja and Michael Inoa. So he's one of these Rick Hahn guys who is drafted and then dealt away uh, when they're trying to go for it and and, uh, and and you know win it all back in uh, in 15 when they won the offseason. And Chris Bassett's been a pretty good pitcher uh, since leaving the White Sox. In 2020, he was a 2.1 war pitcher, 5-2 and two, like you said, 2.29 earn run average. And uh, last year, uh, guys in the, in the Sox lineup faced Chris Bassett. Um, not uh, rave reviews here. Jose Breu hitting three thirty three, TA three thirty three. Uh, but you've got a few offers down the list. Engel offer, Leury offer, a couple guys you'll you might see in the lineup tomorrow. Eloy hitting five hundred, two for four off of Bassett. Uh, McCann offer, uh, Moncada offer, and Yomer offer. So it's a mixed bag going up against Bassett tomorrow. And if you're wondering what kind of pitcher he is, if you don't remember, well, he's a guy that works mainly fastball cutter. Um, but if you look at his peripherals, look at his percentile ratings on uh, Baseball Savant, he's he's not in the top-tier percentile in really any category. Um, he's middle of the road with exit velo, um, middle of the road with weighted on-base average. Um, just, you know, he's, he's not a guy that's going to strike out a lot of people. He's 25% in the whiff percentage and K percentage. Um, you know, doesn't get a lot of spin on the on the ball, but he's just a guy who changes speeds, fastball cutter, occasionally change up and curve and slider. He so he mixes up his pitches. So they're gonna have to be on their toes tomorrow. The White Sox hitters are, but it's it's not a guy that's gonna overpower you uh, in Chris Bassett tomorrow. Yeah, I agree with you totally. It's uh, it's not daunting. It looks it looks very daunting with the numbers, but fool's gold. I tell you, fool's gold when we. <laughs> Do the show tomorrow, and we're celebrating the White Sox moving on to L.A. to face the Astros and mark that down. To oh, you hate to see that today. You hate to see that today, and you hate to see the Yankees uh, put it on the Indians today, too, and and Shane Bieber. You hate to see these things playing out the way they've been playing out so far through one game. Yeah, the AL Central champion Minnesota Twins lost their 17th postseason game in a row. Today. In a row? Bumps. In a row. They're... <laughs> Bombs. It wasn't even the Yankees doing the thing today. It was the Astros, the bum-ass Astros doing work to them. So when we talk tomorrow, I'm going to say, I told you those fools go with Chris Bassett. See how we got loose on that bum. Now we're going to the ALDS. We're facing the Astros in L.A. We're going to be feeling good about ourselves. We're going to be enjoying ourselves. We're going to be drinking some drinks. And I, I'm predicting this is a guarantee. It's none of my guarantees. I'm 5-1 on the season. Missed my last one. Whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> We're going to win that one. Fool's gold, Chris Bassett is. Yeah, I hope you're right, man. But t- today, you know, there was just it was just such a great day. 
in the history of the franchise. You, you didn't know what you were going to get out there today, but the Sox respond, and your ace goes out there and does ace things, and, and your marquee players, uh, the MVP candidates showed up, man. And, and if those guys do those things, you know, I don't think we'll have to worry about much here. This team can can go as far as they want to, as long as they're getting production from T.A. and Jose Abreu and, and Giolito with the ace setting the tone uh, in game ones and in, in game fives and sevens. You know what I mean? So, yeah, man, it's exciting times for the White Sox. The first playoff victory in 12 years. And, of course, we'll be back uh, tomorrow night to break it all down and, and hopefully recap what uh, It'll be a series victory, a sweep, hopefully. Um, crazy things can happen. I worry about what's going to happen in a Game 3 scenario where they, they will likely have to bullpen it, but uh, hopefully they take care of business tomorrow night. And uh, I'm, I agree with you. I thought they would lose today and, and win the Keuchel start. So hopefully uh, they don't flip-flop things around, and hopefully they, they, they maintain and, and they win that Keuchel start. So that's all I got tonight, man. And, you know, sorry for taking so long with this episode tonight, but you know, when they have games on at two o'clock, we have to work and we have uh, other things we have to do. So we would have loved to do an instant reaction, but I wanted to make sure that if we were going to be late with it, we at least had some sound and, and, and a little bit of preview for game two. So I think we achieved that here tonight. So uh, thanks to everyone who's been supporting the podcast as always. And uh, it's exciting times when we could talk about a postseason victory. That's, that's why, you know, Dallas Keigel talked about, that's why he signed up. That's why we signed up for this shit. So I, I'm looking forward to game two tomorrow yes i am looking forward to it too and i hope that all of us white Sox fans can celebrate we haven't had a postseason victory like a season a series victory since of course october 26 2005 it's been a minute so tomorrow will be a great time just to let 15 years of frustration go and enjoy uh, postseason victory, knowing that we're moving on to the next, and it feels so good. I, I remember those feelings in 2005. It went by so fast, I didn't think I savored it. Tomorrow, if we win, and I've already guaranteed it, so when we win, <laughs> savor it, guys. Like, Don't let people say, oh, it's only this, oh, it's only that. No, enjoy it. Celebrate and go out. Have a fun time. You've realized that 2020 is a bullshit year. It's a terrible year. A lot of people have died. A lot of people have gotten sick, and we've had a lot of quarantine. So when they win, we're celebrating. We're enjoying ourselves. We're going to get that big bottle of wine that you don't want to <laughs> you know, spend $1,000 on or $150 on, whatever it is, and we're drinking the fuck out of it. We're enjoying a, a beer that maybe is out of your price range, or we're just try, enjoying a nice Miller Lite or PBR. Whatever you got, enjoy yourselves tomorrow after we win. That's, uh, that's my orders to you. White Sox fans, we're doing it big tomorrow. Absolutely, and uh, I think tomorrow if the Sox win, you know, I have my 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 Belfour uh, brand whiskey that mm. I that, that I got from black former Blackhawks goaltender Eddie Belfour. Let me pick that name up here real quick. There we go. Um, <laughs> uh, I got a bottle of Belfour brand whiskey, and I save it for special occasions. The last time actually that I had some. Um, was when Dallas Keuchel signed around Christmas time. Uh, the wife and I were here uh, wrapping presents uh, while, while our daughter was at uh, at my parents' house, and they signed Dallas Keuchel. And I got the text from Mitch and you and Kevin Z. Pack, and that, that was the night that called for a celebration, having some of that Belfour whiskey. So I think I'll do that if the Sox are lucky enough to advance tomorrow. And yeah, I, I don't want to hear about any more of this. You know, seven seed, and they finished in third place, and they backed in, and this and that. When, when you win a playoff series, that's that's it. You know. They, you take all take all that stuff away, and all of a sudden you're you're playing with with real competition at that point, and you're not you're not lucking into anything. Like they put themselves in a bad spot, 
you know, by being a, if you want to call it a bad spot being a seventh seed, but that's what they are. But if they, if they beat a number two seed, that's saying something. So I don't want to hear anything more about, uh, about a third place team and not winning the division at that point, because they put themselves in a position where they can advance and that's all you ask for. So that's all I got tonight. Uh, it was a great day all around. Let's hope for another one tomorrow. All right. That is Chris Tannehill. My name is Herb Lawrence. You can email us at lockedonsocks at gmail.com. We got a mailbag Monday coming up this week where we're going to answer your questions or just read your comments about this show. And like Chris said, we appreciate all you guys listening to our uh, podcast throughout the year. It's been going great. People have been recognizing us and the people at the Lockdown Network have late named us the pod of the week. Out of all those some bitching uh, pods, they named us the pod <laughs> of the week. And that's because of you guys listening to us. And Chris is a genius of bringing up Locked on Luis. And we did uh, episode six the other day when he was struggling. It was <laughs> yeah, so, so he genius. He sucks. Episode seven, <laughs> he doesn't suck as much. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they like that we that we did a, the, the Luis Robert miniseries. Uh, welcome there. You know they're late to the party, but they finally gave us our due. But it's, you know, it was an odd week to give us podcast of the week with all those losses we were breaking down. We've certainly had better times on this show, but I'm glad that the uh, network finally recognized us because everyone worked so hard on this Locked on Network work so i'm glad we finally got our due so thank you once again everyone out there so for chris Tannehill, follow him at chris Tannehill. me herb lawrence at Eckerwall 23 the show is at locked on socks on instagram and on twitter so thank you for listening to this victorious excellent postseason win edition of locked on socks